Uh, so again, it is, it is so good to be here. Um, it's so good to see so many of your faces, uh, several of whom we haven't seen since March 2020. Uh, so it is just uh, a blessing. Uh, I truly mean that. It is such a blessing, such an encouragement to have you here with us today. Uh, as some of us were reflecting throughout this uh, earlier today, um, many of you have been with Restoration since the beginning. Some uh, were with us when we worshiped in the community center, just right over there. Some of you have never set foot in the community center before. Uh, you were with us last summer, or maybe you joined us uh, at the Parkway Movie Theater. Or maybe there's some of you where today is your very first day with us. So to all of you, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here and, and um, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ uh, together with us today. And after the service, we're going to have a picnic. So if you brought food, awesome. If you forgot to bring food, there's plenty of restaurants that you could just probably Google up on your phone and come back over here and uh, just plop down and let's just celebrate this wonderful breeze and weather and the smells of barbecue in the air. Uh, I really, really look forward to that. Uh, this is also the first Sunday that uh, I'm back from vacation. We missed you all. Uh, Molly and the girls uh, aren't here right now. They're up uh, at Molly's folks' place uh, for the week, um, and they uh, are very, very excited to come back. But we're super, super refreshed. Uh, we're rejuvenated from our time away. And it's just really cool. Uh, some of my pastor friends are jealous of this, but it's really cool that we can just trust the congregation and you all are so willing and capable and uh, desirous to hop in and help and serve and, and that's just wonderful. So thank you so much for blessing me personally, but also being a blessing to one another. Um, and as I mentioned, another thing that's great about today is the fact that we're celebrating or that uh, the, the state holiday, it's Independence Day. Obviously that's not a religious holiday, um, but like I said, we uh, as Christians can uh, take note of the fact and celebrate the fact that um, we live in a country where we can worship the Lord freely. And that hasn't always been the case for God's people uh, throughout time or across the globe. There are a lot of little celebrations that I wanted to mention before diving in. So let's, let's dive in. So right now we are in the season after Pentecost. It's a six-month-long season. It's also sometimes called the season of ordinary. And this is a season of, in which we look and celebrate, uh, the, we look at and celebrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That he has filled us uh, at the moment of our baptism. He's, he's filled us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. Like newly built ships whose sails have been filled with great wind and are sent forth out across the sea. We being restored by the power of Jesus' resurrection and filled with the power of his Holy Spirit, are now sent forth on Holy Spirit Pentecost mission. So let's turn to Mark's gospel. Also, I'm still kind of reeling right now because this is the first time I've preached to you in a long time without there being blinding lights in my face. I can see your faces. It's just incredible. <laughs> it's great. I'm, I'm going to stay focused because there's more I can say about that. <laughs> so we're, let's look at our story from Mark chapter 6. So Jesus goes into Nazareth, his hometown. Nazareth was a tiny village. Historians tell us that there was no more than probably 300 people or so uh, who lived in that village. So in a few hours or so, this, this whole park is going to be transformed. There might be 300, 400 people there, and that, 
that would have comprised all of the people who lived in Nazareth. If you lived in Nazareth, you would have pretty much known everybody there, or at least their households and the families there. You would have known uh, the backstories to everyone's families. You would have known what the town as a whole celebrates and loves. You would have known what was taboo in the fam or in the in the village and what not to talk about. You would have known who holds the power. You would have known who were the, the deplorables, who were the untouchables in that village. You would have known everything. There are no surprises in Nazareth. This is a same old, same old kind of place. Well, Jesus is, it's the Sabbath, and being the local boy and back in town and people hearing a, a, a bit of what he's been doing, he's invited to speak in church, uh, in the synagogue. And I can imagine someone in the congregation leaning over to their neighbor and being like, all right, let's see what this carpenter boy has to say today. You know, he's, he's a big deal, I guess. Let's, let's see what he's got to say here. And they would have heard about the crowds that Jesus has been attracting. They would have heard about this, this new message that Jesus has been teaching. A message that the kingdom of God is coming. Now is the long-awaited time. People have, would, would have been expecting this crazy new message to be proclaimed. And all across the countryside, as Jesus has been proclaiming this message, if anyone had any doubt about the words that he was saying, he would have backed it up with signs and wonders. Entire crowds were coming to him, and he was healing everyone who would get close to him. The blind could see, the lame could walk, and as I said, some were even being brought back to life again. But here in Nazareth, things are different. Because here in Nazareth, there actually is significant doubt as to who Jesus is and what his message is saying. So first, the people are astonished. The text is clear about that. But then as these questions that the people ask progress, their astonishment quickly fades. They become skeptical. Where does this man get these things, they say? Where does his wisdom even come from? Do you hear the skepticism in their voice? Isn't this just the carpenter, they say? Now, the word carpenter in the original language is more than someone who just builds stuff with wood. Uh, someone who is a carpenter, that would be a term that would have applied to anybody, like many of you, who make a living by building or fixing things with your hands. Uh, it, a more appropriate translation would have been like handyman or, or, or fix-it man or, or something like that. That would have been a better translation. So it's highly likely that people in the synagogue, sitting there, recognizing Jesus, knowing the family that he's from, if you were to go back to their home, they might have a chair that Jesus had built for them. They might have a wheelbarrow that Jesus had fixed for them at some point. They may have a, a feeding trough out in, in the yard or whatever for the sheep to eat out of that Jesus himself may have had some uh, history fixing or repairing or whatever. Now, handiwork is a profession in the ancient world that required no formal schooling at all. And so when they call him a carpenter, they're, putting, they're bringing his authority into question. Who gives this guy the authority to talk to us like this? We know exactly where he comes from. He doesn't have any sort of schooling or anything like that. 
He's uneducated. This was meant to be an insult to Jesus. In fact, if we were to fast forward the clock 200 years later, uh, one of Christianity's greatest, earliest opponents, his name is Celsus, he, this was one of the reasons why he ridiculed Christianity. He was like, those people, they just worship this guy who was a common laborer. You know, and for him, that was enough to dismiss Christianity. It was an insult that still carried weight 200 years later. But in our story, in Nazareth, the village handyman is now preaching at the people. And the people are bothered by this. And then their skepticism gets turned up another notch. It turns into scoffing. They say, isn't this the son of Mary? We all know what that means, right? Now, they're not quoting a Christmas song when they say this. This isn't a, a sentimental moment for them. They're not thinking of um, Silent Night or something like that. No, this is an insult as well. This is a, a greater insult than the one that we just heard. You see, in the ancient world, you never referred to someone as the son of their mother. The reason why you would do that is because you don't know who the father is. And so what you're inferring is that the woman, the mother, is actually a woman of the night. That she's a, a wantonness, to say the least. That she's been around a little bit. And so for them to say this of Jesus, they're, they're not questioning his authority right now. Now they're even questioning his integrity. They're questioning the, the, the stock that he comes from, the kind of people that he comes from. So even what we can also see from this is that even in Jesus' lifetime, there were already rumors circulating around the countryside of his illegitimate birth. They're accusing Jesus of being without authority and without respect. Carpenter, with an unknown father. Who does he think he is, the people are saying about Jesus. So first they're astonished, then they're skeptical, and now the, our story climaxes by, or their, their reaction climaxes by them saying that they are offended by Jesus. Offended by Jesus. That is a word that we love to throw around as Americans. In fact, sometimes we, we sometimes say, oh, people are so easily offended these days. You know? So maybe they have thicker skin back then. I don't know. But that word offended in the original language, let me make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Listen to it. It's scandalizo. Scandalizo. Do you hear what our English word we get from that? Scandalous. They're scandalized by this. The people are scandalized by the carpenter with an unknown father standing up in the synagogue of all places, preaching and teaching to them. This is a repugnant moment for the people of Nazareth. Nazareth is being scandalized at the moment. And it's just sad. It's sad to see the reaction of the people. And we hear what the effects of this are. Mark uh, chapter 6, verse 5 says that Jesus, therefore, uh, could, now know, could now not do any mighty work, except for a few. Except for a few. So all those stories of the miraculous healings and the controlling of nature itself, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins that happens early on in Jesus' ministry. The people of Nazareth, Nazareth miss out on that. They don't get to partake in any of that. In the midst of their tremendous unbelief, Jesus restricts his healing to just a few individuals. Their unbelief excludes them from that powerful outflowing 
of God's grace that he had been pouring out throughout the countryside. You can kind of not blame Jesus. Have you ever gotten a gift from a person who you really don't like? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, I know we're like good Christian people and we're supposed to like everybody or whatever, but come on, there's, there's people you don't like, there's people I don't like, and maybe on some occasion they've actually given you something. What have you done with that present? You're probably either confused by it, you're like, why did they give this to me? Don't they know that I hate them? <laughs> you know, something like that. Or you, it just causes you to be more cynical. You're like, I, I don't want this. This reminds me of all these bad things. So Jesus is doing something similar here. He's, he's not giving a good gift to these people because he doesn't want their hearts to be hardened even more. This is a moment of sadness to all of us. So a question that I kind of been thinking about as I've been thinking about this passage and meditating, praying on it, is why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he go to his hometown? He had to have known that this kind of thing was going to happen, right? He had to know that things weren't going to go very well. He knew that the people were going to react with skepticism and, and possibly even offense, right? If you're familiar with the Gospels, if you're familiar with the story of Acts, and uh, you might recall that earlier in Jesus' ministry, we preached on it probably four, five, six weeks ago now, which I'm, I'm sure you all remember every word of every sermon, so you, you know that, right? Uh, but we, we talked about Jesus' family coming to him and trying to, uh, what, what did they say about Jesus? They, they said he was out of his mind. His own mother and brothers were coming to get him and to take him away. So Jesus had a clue that Nazareth was not on Team Jesus. His family were, were upset by him, and, and their, their upsetness, their, their frustration was probably being riled up and exacerbated by the frustration of other people in Nazareth. Again, Jesus probably knew about this. So why did he go to Nazareth? Why did he go there? So immediately after this story, if you have your Bibles with you, you, you'll be able to peek ahead to verse 7, I think it is, where Jesus sends out the disciples on mission. He gives them his authority to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom, to anoint the sick, to heal them. That happens immediately after this. It's a powerful and exciting passage, and and I was even tempted this week. I was like, I don't want to preach Nazareth on my first week back from vacation. That's not a fun passage. Let's just skip ahead in the lectionary and do that one. But I think what Jesus, why Jesus did this is because I think he wants to provide a teachable moment for the disciples. He wants to show the disciples what is going to be quite ordinary and normal in their lives as they go out into their hometowns and proclaim the message of the kingdom. And not only for them, but he's doing this for you and for me as well. You see, brothers and sisters, we ought not to be surprised when those who are dear to us are offended by the kingdom of God. That is a hard, hard lesson. But Jesus feels it is important for us to know that. He wants to give us a reality check today. He wants to give us a wake-up call. He wants us to know that this is part of what it means to proclaim the beautiful, forgiving kingdom of God, his nearness. So a few weeks ago, the week before I went out on vacation, uh, I invited all of you, or I invited folks to come up to the microphone at the Parkway Theater and to share stories 
of ways in which you've been blessed by the family of God. That was an awesome Sunday. That was incredible. In fact, all throughout our vacation, Molly and I were just like, remember that? Remember when so-and-so shared this and so-and-so shared this? That was so exciting. It was, it was so invigorating. It was, it was like our, 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 I know I've used this metaphor, but it was like our, our sails had been filled with air. We're just so happy for what the Lord Jesus Christ had been doing here at Restoration. It was such a powerful, beautiful time. And we heard stories of people leaning on one another in difficult times, providing for one another emotionally, financially, physically at times, being the presence of God to one another. And I've been thinking about that day and the stories that you shared ever since. Well, in this season of ordinary, this season of spirit-filled Pentecostal mission, friends, we ought to, ex we got, ought to expect struggles. Like Ezekiel in our Old Testament passage, who was told to go and proclaim to people a, a message that they wouldn't hear, they wouldn't pay attention to. Or like Paul in our New Testament reading, who after sublime moments of glory is then given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, the text says. Well, we too ought to expect struggles. And sometimes, like our gospel reading today, even in our own hometown. But take heart, friends, because you are not alone. You are not alone. We struggle through this world, not in isolation, but with one another as brothers and sisters. And not only that, but even more glorious is that we struggle through this world with a Lord and Savior who knows our story and our circumstance firsthand. He has been there as well. You are not alone. So one final observation before I conclude. That question that was asked of Jesus, isn't he the carpenter, the people ask? Meaning to insult him, meaning to rattle him, meaning to, to dismiss him. Isn't he the carpenter? Well, Jesus isn't building ta tables or repairing feeding troughs or fixing wheelbarrows anymore. At least I, I, don't, I don't think he is. But yes, Jesus is still the carpenter. He's still the handyman. He's still the repair guy. He's still the restorer. He is the man who was rejected by all, beaten, betrayed, and mocked. He's the carpenter who himself was nailed to the hard wood of the cross in order to make a way for your salvation. He is the repairer and the restorer of our souls. So I wonder what wounds are you coming with today? What are ways in which your heart is broken? What are ways in which your soul is in sorrow? Because brothers and sisters, please hear this. Our God is a God who wants to restore your weary soul after such a terrible and difficult year and a half that we've just been through. He is the wounded healer who loves you tremendously. So we're in a season now where we are bringing back elements of our service that we've had to let go of because of health concerns and things like that. And one of the things that we're bringing back is our prayer ministry. I mean, we've, we've always been praying for the congregation. Um, but today, as you come up for Holy Eucharist, after you receive, if you want, you don't have to, but if there is something that is particularly troubling or burdensome to you, we're going to have prayer ministers 
We're going to be available kind of over in that area by the sandbox, I think, so out of the way. But we're going to have prayer ministers who would love to pray with you. They are going to hold whatever you bring to them in confidentiality, and they would love to pray with you. And then also, I, I know we only have two prayer ministers assigned today. If you are also on the prayer team and you see that there's a long line, would you please hop up and, and help out and pray for folks? Um, we need to reinvigorate this ministry. Because, brothers and sisters, it is, a, it is a, a struggling, difficult world. But we are not alone. We lean on one another as together we lean on our Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we are in awe that you came into this world and you didn't just live a posh life and sort of surround yourself with worldly comforts and, and expect us to serve you. But Lord, you came to serve us. But much more than that, Lord, you actually stooped down and participated in the struggles of this life, the struggles of being rejected by those who were very dear to you. And so we, Lord, coming together as your family, we just want to declare our love for you, that you are with us. Thank you for filling us with your spirit. Thank you for surrounding us with your body, with the church. Lord, as we leave here today and you send us out in the power of your spirit, we ask Jesus this in your holy name. Amen.